All right, folks, welcome back to The Slice. Host Stephen Bowden here, joined by the legendary Mark Rowe of TSN Tennis, who spent his summer down in Flushing Meadows covering the U.S. Open in person, interviewing all the players and people that we love. Mark Rowe, thanks for joining the show. How are you? Uh, thanks for the legendary intro. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've earned that title quite yet in my career, but it's uh, great to be back on with you. Yeah, well, you know, I'd like to speak it into existence. I know, you know, <laughs> you know you're the guy you know, that most Canadians see down there in the... If you said it, it's got to be true, right? That's true. It is true. Um, yeah, so we're, we're talking about the... We're going to be doing like a Canadian, basically, year-end wrap-up. If you guys have been watching the channel, which I hope you have if you're watching this video, uh, I just spoke with Dennis and Felix uh, last week when they finished their years in Stockholm. So you can see their kind of answers to some questions there. Mark and I are going to opine about, you know, how was the year of 2021 for Canadian tennis uh, and what are realistic expectations going into 2022 with our four top players who we all know who they are. So Mark, first things first though, I want to hear like, what was, what was your experience like this year at the U S open TSN had an amazing set. You got to talk to so many amazing players and, you know, reconvene with Bianca who you covered in 2020, 2019 cover Layla's run to the final this year. And I'm, you know, what I was saying is Mark Rowe is the lucky charm for, for Canadian women's tennis. Every time, you know, the last two times he's been physically at the U S open, we've had amazing results. Yeah. And if I could get on the payroll of some of these players, that would be even better. Right. Um, that's the next step. Yeah. That's the next step. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. It was a great experience. I, I, you know, it's funny back in 2019 being there when Bianca won the U S open, you think, this is as good as it, it ever gets. And that's fine. And it's not to say that um, going back in a Canadian not winning would be a bad experience, but somehow this past year exceeded it, even though that, you know, Layla didn't win in the final. I think it was the fact that, um, you know, it seemed like every single night we had a Canadian in prime time or we had a Canadian playing in a big match and, um, you know, have with TSN investing in, in our set and uh, which I thought looked great on camera and it seemed like our coverage was better. It seemed like we were able to get analysts. Um, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to uh, our guy Vashik Pospisil who after he lost, he hung out at the US Open for pretty much the whole tournament. He was hitting a lot with Novak and he kind of gave me the heads up like, I'm not going anywhere. So if you guys ever want me and it's one of those things where like, if you're going to say that, I'm going to actually like call on you for that. He was like, no problem. I'm going to use you. We had him on all the time. And, and I don't think you get that without a set, without, you know, kind of your own sort of, um, you know, destination at the U.S. Open with, with that kind of footprint. So, it, yeah, it was a great experience. It was definitely the most exhausting tournament that I had been a part of. And, and I don't expect any sympathy from anyone watching this. I'm at the U.S. Open, but definitely the longest days that we've ever had. Uh, it involved waiting for Bianca at three in the morning for her to come out of um, getting some therapy on her leg and we're set up to interview her and suddenly the sprinklers went off in the in the player's garden and we had to quit all of our equipment out of that spot obviously as you can imagine the damage and I, I was thinking she's going to come out right now and no player wants to do those interviews after they lose yeah and, and you know she's not she's probably not in a great mood and though that we've you know we kind of know each other a little bit anyways it ended up being fine but uh you know we missed the last shuttle back to manhattan we had to get into a taxi and we and as we're in this taxi at 3 30 in the morning i'm thinking we're, we're back here in five hours <laughs> but that's you know 
that, that's the beauty of, of covering a tournament like this or covering the Olympics. Um, you know, you're not there to sleep. You're not there to go sightseeing. You're there to hopefully cover a great event. And, and every single day, the U.S. Open gave us great storylines. And it was just the fans being there, even better than pre-pandemic. I think it was just everyone was so built up uh, yeah. to do something. And it was just, it was unbelievable. It, even better, I can't believe I'm saying this, even better than Serena being in a U.S. Open final, at least from my experience and what I heard in, inside that building. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. And you know, that, what you described there, you're on the front lines. You know, that's the, that's the hard-hitting journalism that, you know, I think Canadians, you know, we're built for it, being from the cold, getting down there. We, everything's more of a struggle up here, I feel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of a memory. I was kind of now thinking back to the U.S. Open, that everyone was saying it. That's one of the best Grand Slam tournaments they've ever experienced, right? Which I think it was a bit of the COVID, like, oh, wow, it's amazing to have fans back. But just the level of matches start to finish in that in that tournament on the men's and the women's was just epic. And yeah, so that was awesome having you bring us the coverage from there uh, with the Canadian angle. And yeah, that's what we're going to break down now. We had Canadian tennis, you know, through the years, it's grown, and I really feel like they've, you know, they've done an amazing job to get us where we're at. We have two like top top players on both the men's and the women's. So to recap this year, um, what did Canadian tennis produce as far as results? We had one title that was Leilani in, in Monterey. We had one Grand Slam final, two Grand Slam semifinals, four Grand Slam quarterfinals um, from our player. So you know that's some pretty good. Those are some pretty good results. That's a lot of prize money. That's a lot of points. Um, but why don't we go down the, the, the list, starting with the, with the boys and just kind of recap their years and talk a little bit about their highs and their lows and, and, uh, going into 2022, what they're going to, what they're going to think. So Shapovalov, Dennis Shapovalov, kind of one of the OGs guys on the scenes. Now he's the oldest of the, the group, which is crazy. He's 22 years old. Um, he went 30 wins, 23 losses, no titles, made the Wimbledon semifinals, as we all know, um, yeah, what do you think? How do you think this year was for him as far as maybe what his expectations would have been or his hopes would have been at the beginning of the year? Uh, you know, I, I think, and, and, you know, he's commented on this a few times, just how inconsistent the year was. And I think you, you saw in flashes just how good he is and, and is going to be. And I think obviously Wimbledon's the greatest example of that, reaching a semifinal where, you know, he really had Novak Djokovic uncomfortable. Um, and I think it's a big learning lesson. Uh, it's going to have to be for Dennis to, to understand what went wrong. Like why, why did I have things kind of on my terms and suddenly how is, you know, how is someone like Novak and it's tough to compare yourself to the greatest player in the world right now. Um, you know, how is he able to turn things around so quickly and win that match? Um, you know, outside of Wimbledon, it's probably a disappointing year. Um, and that's just because the bar is so high for Dennis. Uh, mm -hmm. He's been a top 10 player already. He's reached a few quarterfinals at Grand Slams. Um, he was really hard on himself at the U.S. Open. And, and that really struck me talking to him after that match against Lloyd Harris. And, and I still think there was some of the aftermath. Um, I think he was still trying to, you know, I think that had took a toll on him. But... Dennis, usually after losses, in my experience, finds the positives and often says, you know, I, hey, I thought I played really well and, you know, credit to him or credit to my opponent or maybe this happened. And, um, and I always saw, I always compared Felix and Dennis and always thought, you know, Felix was so hard on himself and, and Dennis 
often saw kind of the glass half full. It was the complete opposite. He just said, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Lloyd. I was just off, you know, like how, how can I, you know, how can I win hitting shots like that or making those mistakes? And, and he was right. He, you know, he, he didn't play well and he had all these kinds of unforced errors. So I think that he, he needs to, he's always going to be that guy, the, the, the home run hitter, the guy who goes for the big shots. That's why he's one of the most exciting and most popular players on tour. He's got to find a way to rein it in a little bit. And when he doesn't have those big shots going mm. to, to gut out a win, to find a way, you know, the, the line that you often hear, especially from a guy like Brad Gilbert, win ugly. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you know, if, if Dennis can't win the way that he prefers to, he lets that affect him a little too much. So yeah, I think he'll be fine. I just think when you look back at this year, you know, there's a lot of missing links there. He wasn't able to carry Wimbledon into any really big tournaments moving forward and um, wasn't able to play the French Open after having a pretty good clay court season. Lost to Felix uh, at the Australian Open. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Dennis should be doing better at this point, and I'm sure he will do better. And I think 2022 will be even a, a better year for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I wouldn't say he's, you know, he did tell me after Stockholm where he had a bit of a bit run back to form where he said, you know, he, he thought this year was better than last. And statistically, it might not have actually been. Like, I think he had a better record in the year before, but I guess he feels like he grew in some ways, which is good. Um, and But he did say, like, I remember in San Diego, he kind of – Someone, someone asked like, Hey, what are, what are your goals for the end of the year? He's like, yeah, I don't really have any. Just like, it was kind of just like, he literally said that. And I was like, Oh, it's like, he's definitely lost some motivation. And then he like agreed with that in, in Stockholm where he's like, yeah, the, the, the Wimbledon loss somehow took a lot out of him when it's like, you shouldn't blame yourself. You just lost to arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. And, um, but yeah, it seemed, I think people talk about floors and ceilings with players levels. Right. And, you know, you know, Chapeval, as far as the ceiling, has one of the highest ceilings probably on the tour. When he's playing his absolute best, not many guys can hang with him. Um, but I feel like he's to really get super consistent, he has to bring his floor up because his bottom level can get beaten by a lot of players, which because he doesn't like he kind of beats himself with his bottom level in, in a way, right? So yeah. I think and, and we'll we'll be like obsessed obviously with records and titles, and that's just our job. And it, and it comes down to Dennis or Felix, you know, they know better than we do. Um, you know, maybe the, the results aren't reflective of how well they think they actually are playing, or maybe they're working on things yeah. that might take a year to, to really add that shot into their arsenal. And I think both players have kind of talked about that. So um, yeah, I, I, it's not that I, I don't, it's not that I disagree with his idea that maybe he's a better player today. And he, I'm sure he is a better player today than he was a year ago. Um, but it's, you know, he's at a time in his career where results matter. Totally. And it, and it's, yeah. And it's, he's pressing up against the ceiling of the top of the, the ranking board. So like, I think he was like around number 10 when he finished the year last year and he's yeah. now 14, but it's like, it's not as easy to move up the rankings, the higher you get, right. It's yeah. one spot is, is crazy. One spot's like 10 for earlier. So, um, yeah, I think 2022 could be a big year for him. Like the, like we've probably always said, like the sky's the limit for him, right? So it's going to be hopefully has a good offseason restful and feels good coming into into 2022. Talking about Felix, let's talk about it. Um, 39, 39 wins, a lot of wins, 24 losses this year, no titles again, which is obviously something that people talk about with him. Uh, he, I think he had two finals, um, but he made the Wimbledon quarterfinals, U.S. Open semifinals, career high ranking now in the top 10, which is big. Um, how would you, how would you assess his season? What he told me after Stockholm is he felt like he'd matured a lot. 
and he and he kind of found more of his identity on court because maybe when he grew up when he was like everyone has a big shots everyone has big serves everyone can hit the ball hard in the men's game it's like it's you got to find like what what do you do that differentiates you and I, and I do feel like he found a lot more of that and that might have been Tony Nadal's influence a bit yeah, I think so. I think that is a positive effect on him. You know, uh, Felix has always probably been the most talented guy on the court growing up in the sport. And if you don't have the work ethic, which he obviously does, then it, it doesn't do you, you know, too good at this level. Uh, it's fun. I talked to him prior to the Australian Open about his goals. And you talked about how Dennis said, I'm, I, you know, I don't really have any goals at the end of the year. Felix has been adamant that top 10 was his goal this year. Mm. And, you know, he's, he reached it and he's, he's only going to reach it for a week because of Yannick Sinner winning a match the ATP final, but he did it, you know, yeah. so give him credit. And, and it wasn't a grand slam win and it wasn't winning a masters or just even winning a tournament, as you point out, it was a top 10. And I think that, you know, that goes again to consistency. You're not a top 10 player unless, you know, you're getting deep into turns that you're in. So you got to give him credit on that. I think, you know, his serve can be such a weapon and it wasn't the U.S. Open. And it's also been such a mess at times in his mm -hmm. career, the ball toss, the double faults, and you still see it creep in. But I think that is a huge improvement. I think his backhand suddenly was a weapon this year. And he kind of, he called me on it when I said, where does backhand come from? And he said, I've always had a backhand. I just, I'm, I'm starting to use it properly. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you can always hit a good backhand, but the timing and stuff. And I think, He's really learned how to game plan some of these matches and to use that against certain opponents. So I think overall he's in, he's in a great place. Um, we get fixated on losing in the finals. Um, we're not the only ones. Analysts talk about it. Coaches talk about it Yeah. there. And you often hear about, you know, Felix shutting down in a match. And I think it's gotten way better, but when things aren't going well, you know, how quickly things can go south. Um, losing to Aslan Karatsa, the Australian Open, up two sets to love. And then yeah. once Kratzev had momentum, I felt like Felix had no chance. You could use read it. Now, yeah. same situation against Zverev at Wimbledon, and he wins that match in five sets. I think that's huge, a huge growth. Same thing against Bautista Agu at the US Open. Yeah. But, you know, Medvedev, he's going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and then it just, you know, Danil did what Danil does, and mm. Felix didn't have a counterpunch. Yeah. And I think for those big, you know, for those toughest opponents in the biggest matches, you know, he, he's going to get knocked down and he needs to, you know, dust himself off and go, okay, let's play that game, you know? And yeah. cause then you're seeing some of the errors creep up. So um, at least you're seeing progress in those areas and it's, it's going to be exciting just to see, you know, where he goes moving forward, just because he's, you know, again, as a, as a, just a fan of the sport, it's so fun to watch him mm. and few players of any work as hard as he does and that's that's a great you know trait to have in this in this sport because you know as good as the Rafa's and the Novaks are they don't get outworked you know they totally. they, they, they probably have been humbled at certain times in their career and now as good as we are as many titles as we have you know this young kid from Canada is is hungry so I better work harder than them and I'll show them you know who's boss and so it's all part of the growth totally. of this career that Felix is on. Totally. You said it there. Like they, and the, the, the top guys, it's crazy how much Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, like they like want it as much or more than these guys who haven't achieved really anything in the sport, which is so hard to play against. But I think you're right. Like the, 
like Felix, you can see, I think the pressure sometimes kind of affects his body when he's out there. His, his shots get a bit whippy, just adding too much spin, not hitting through the court enough, which he can obviously do. Um, but I think, yeah, for the U.S. Open at the most, until, until the Medvedev match, I think we really saw the identity in his game where he's like, served me an absolute weapon when he's getting his first serve in and coming behind it it's just it's it's hard to stop he's a freight train and he can be in a really aggressive player um because i've seen him be, try and be an aggressive player only from the baseline before and, and it's just harder to do that and when you're i think he's like six two six three somewhere in there like he's and super long got a good wingspan it's like coming forward just brings so much advantage with it and he he seemed super comfortable i remember like the tfo match i was just like oh this isn't even close like like felix is just really at another level when he's playing it in that way which was cool to see still 21 years old um you know i think you know some one of the journalists after he lost to shapovalov somehow brought up the fact that he hadn't won a, a title yet and it was just like obviously not a good time for it but i think Felix is a fighter and he's definitely going to use the, the kind of the hate that he's getting from, from people. I've seen it on, on our channel um, as motivation. And when he gets that title, which I, I believe will be next year, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big fist pump and like stick yeah. it to everyone else. It'll be cool. And um, you know, I don't want to pretend like I, I hang out with, with Felix every day and know him personally, but he's like, from, from all accounts, he's really strong mentally. And, you know, obviously that goes without saying how important that is to be a professional athlete, but I don't, I, you know, I don't think his finals record. I think he knows it. I think that he's as disappointed as anybody, but also, you know, he understands that no one has bigger expectations than he does. So regardless of what someone might say on your discussion board or on TSN, it's like, I, yeah, I, I've heard it all. I know it all. I say it to myself but you kind of have to channel that out because, you know, you know, the, you need to really harness in the positivity totally. in, you know, in a sport where more often than not, you're coming away disappointed, you know, unless you yeah. win a tournament, you're probably pissed off with your result. Yeah. Which is tough, yeah. which is tough. Um, let's talk about now. Let's go on to Bianca Andreescu, the original Canadian queen. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's Jeannie Bouchard. I don't know, but uh, Andreescu, um, Super interesting last couple of years, right? So, uh, uh, this year she went 17 and 12, no titles, uh, made the Miami open final at the beginning of the year. And we're, and I was, I was thinking like, okay, she's kind of right back to right back to form here. Um, and she said, you know, openly, she's pretty open in press conferences, which I love. And she said, you know, how much the pandemic really did affect her training. And, you know, I think she made a coaching switch, uh, in that time as well. So yeah. Do you have any insights into kind of like what, like I'm not worried about her career in the slightest. She's 21 years old still. Um, she's obviously won the U S open, which is just like, that was crazy. Um, probably an overachiever at that point in her career. So she's to me, she's now building for like the rest of her career. And how do you see like her form right now in 2021 tying into that kind of storyline? Yeah. And I understand people being uh, critical of Bianca because their introduction to Bianca was a tennis player who never lost. Right, yeah. 2019, Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, U.S. Open. Um, you know, like it's like this woman when when she does play. Remember, she had all those injuries that year too. Yeah, she doesn't lose, and then suddenly it's oh, here's another injury, and and that's you know, and then the mixed results. And and I agree with you. I Miami Open thought she played great. I thought here she is, she's back. She got hurt in the final. She had to retire against Barty, yeah. um, and then she. From there, 
for whatever reason, she just never was able to get any kind of rhythm going. And, you know, I was really surprised, you know, she lost this kind of epic first round match to Zidanechik at the French Open and she went on that magical run. And, um, and, you know, I, I keep waiting for her to break out on the grass surface and I'm sure that'll happen at some point, but it seems to take maybe younger players a little bit longer just because they have a lack of reps on that yeah. surface. Um, I, I liked what I saw at the U.S. Open, um, and I think without the injury against Sakari, she wins that match, and maybe we're having a different discussion. But again, it's like, well, but she's, you know, it, it's another injury. Like, when is yeah. she ever going to be healthy? I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. Lot, so many changes at a young age. I, her life has changed. She, you know, I don't, again, there's no, no one's going to have to be sympathetic towards someone who's making millions of dollars and doing commercial shoots, but that takes away from you know, other parts of your life. And I know being away from her family, you know, was, a, was a huge effect on, yeah. on her playing career, you know, uh, being with Sven Grunveld who coached, you know, Cherapova among others, uh, different coach than uh, Sylvain Bruno. And we've only gotten a, a small taste of what that relationship is going to be like. So I, I'm encouraged to see and excited to see what the next season is. Again, yeah. knock on wood, she stays healthy. But I, 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 my forecast for her is the same as what I said after the U.S. Open. I think she's going to win multiple majors, but I also think she's going to go through stretches where she doesn't play well or she just doesn't play because of injuries. Like. I can't sit here and say, you know what, now that she's passed this latest injury, which I can't remember what the latest injury is, yeah. um, she's going to be healthy. Like, that's not who Bianca is, unfortunately. Like, as yeah. a junior, she should have won the Australian Open, um, but had a foot injury. And the story that I've told a lot of times, and I think I told it with you earlier this year, I was at the US Open in 2018, and she was in qualies in the first round, losing and getting medical timeouts for her back. And she was on some outer court with nobody watching. And then a year later, she won the whole friggin' tournament. Yeah. Um, that, you know, for whatever reason, she's just an athlete that, you know, things creep up. And maybe it's just her aggressive style of play. We've talked about it with Rafa, how yeah. he's, he gets hurt maybe a little bit more than Roger has gotten hurt in his career, although the timing of that isn't great with yesterday's news with Fed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it just, that's her style of play. She plays, you know, she, um, she is a bull out there <laughs> for her yeah. lack of better comparisons. And uh, so I, I think the next big run from her, but I think everyone needs to relax a little bit. And if you're a Canadian tennis fan, the good thing is all of our hopes and dreams are not on one player. Right. As That's this right. episode shows you, we're talking about four players. So um, she'll be back. And uh, when she is back, I'm sure everyone will fall back in love with her again. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And yeah, I think, yeah, I don't worry. I'm not worried right now. It is, it is confusing how many injuries she's had, but it could be like, honestly, still like growing planes. Like people's bodies are changing a lot still at 20, 19, 20, 21 years old. So Hopefully that will get less, um, but she's got the game. We all know that. Everyone knows that she has the game, and she's absolutely potent out there when she's healthy. And now that brings us to the last, definitely not the least, I would say most successful in a, in a way, definitely a year of, of 2021 for Canadian tennis players, and that is Leila Annie Fernandez, who I like to say runs New York now. She's like the mayor of New York um, because she was just – she had that crowd on like – she was playing them like a fiddle – she was just, you know, even in her runners up speech, I, I was laughing. Like she was just like, she knew exactly what to say. Like talking about the firefighter, you know, about nine 11, she just, I feel like they love her down there. And she, 
the style of tennis she played to get to the final and the route she took to the final, mind-blowing. Uh, she had a good year before that, obviously. She won Monterey. Um, she was 25 and 17 on the year. Um, but I don't think she was anyone was expecting her to make the U.S. Open final in, in the preview of the U.S. Open final. Like, it wasn't really – she wasn't at that level yet, but then she showed us that her, her top level and her, her game is unbelievable. So what was it like to watch that, uh, yeah, up front – uh, at the U.S. Open, and what were your thoughts? Uh, definitely the story of the tournament. Um, and I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being a biased Canadian. Uh, you know, the, the little bit of TV that I watched in New York was uh, like ESPN Sports Center. At that time of the year, it's all football. Obviously, the NFL is getting going. College football has begun, and Layla was the only tennis story that would make it on a Sports Center. Not Novak Djokovic going for the Grand Slam right. and going for 21st. Um, it was Layla and it was, you know, she was a teenager for about half the tournament, but yeah, it's just what she was able to do. And, you know, it was, it was totally, you know, I, 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 I matched so much compare that to Bianca and it was a totally different experience in that, you know, Layla obviously went into that match against Osaka in the third round and 20,000 people went into Arthur Ashe stadium there to watch Osaka play some little scrappy Canadian I've never heard of. You know, yeah. obviously we know who Fernandez is, but, you know, oh, yeah. the very general tennis fan that you get at a turn like the U.S. Open probably doesn't know who she is. And they're giving her a standing ovation at the end. And, yeah. you know, it, so we do all these, we call them flash interviews, the interviews on the court. And Felix is playing at the same time against Bautista Gu. And he's up two sets to Labrum work. That's our focus. We got to get on a court for that. And Fernandez is down a set and down a break. Okay, we're obviously not going to do that interview because she's not going to win. Felix starts losing. <laughs> and Layla suddenly breaks Osaka, who's serving for the match, and then wins the tie break and then breaks right away in the third. And we're hustling back. And, and, and then it just takes off from there. And, yeah, you're like New York was eating out of her palm from there. And yeah. I like to think that I'm focused and professional and I'm walking out on court and I've been able to do that a few times at Arthur Ashe stadium. And I'm caught doing this, like looking around and going, what the hell is, you know, like, like, you know, not to take anything away from what Bianca did, which was amazing. She won the tournament and the fans obviously supported her. Nothing like this. Hmm. The sound, and I don't know if it, again, we talked about fans being back at the U S open. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it's because of her style. I don't know if it's because this 19 year old is doing this to the crowd. Like who has the presence of mind, but it, yeah, it was not, it was crazy. And, and then, for, you know, she plays Kerber, Spitalina, Sabalenka, you know, and all these players I kind of felt bad for, cause they've all had, they've all etched these great careers and the crowd is with this, this young Canadian. Yeah. Well, again, as you point out, nobody saw coming there except for her. And I'll give her credit because on media day, we had her up on our set. And um, I don't know how it even came up, but she said, I'll see you at the end of the tournament. And I think I just dismiss it because every player says that, right? Or a lot of players. And that's Layla. She has her expectations have always been high on herself. I always felt like maybe too high and she was too hard on herself. And she's also got this very cheery, you know, and we saw it, such an endearing quality of her personality. And at, after she lost to Raducanu, and, you know, and, and again, the greatest day of her life turned into the worst day of her life because she lost. And that's how a tennis player thinks. Yeah. And after we finished, she looked at me and said, I told you. And I said, what would you, sorry? And she's like, I told you I was going to be here at the end. 
myself, you know what? You're effing right. You know, you yeah. did like, yeah, you did say that. Like, why? I should have brought that up in the interview, but yeah. I just, you know, two weeks fly by. And anyways, but it's like, yeah, she called it. And I don't know, you know, where she's obviously got a, the, the fight in her. She, um, she, she runs down every ball. She frustrates opponents. Um, but yeah, it was, it was such an amazing story to, to cover, to have a small part in, to be out on the court. Everyone was in love with her. Um, you know, every, like the, yeah, you pointed out like her post-match speech after losing, like America fell in love with her. If they had, I, know. I had Americans next to me and a tears going down on their face. <laughs> I'm not yeah. exaggerating here when she brought up, you know, you bring up 9-11 everyone's yeah. got a spot especially in that country yeah so yeah just uh, uh a mo- like selfishly a moment i'll never forget or moments that i'll never forget and how she was just like she'd be down in matches and you're like she's gonna pull this off isn't yeah she? like it's just like i don't know how you know sabalenka would be just smoking balls by her and it's like and then suddenly the veteran who is on who's top five in the world is cracking at the most important times and and layla elevated her game like that was yeah crazy. it it was crazy and and she she played such a brand of tennis that i think was maybe refreshing for the u.s open crowd to see because in the last few years we've seen on the men's and women's but especially in the women's like the best players are just are like smashing the ball and they can just hit the ball on both wings uh like you think of like an osaka or like an andrescu or you know originally a serena williams but she's kind of playing a different style of tennis that's working and it's like redirecting pace it's her lefty forehand has got such pop to it. It's not like she doesn't have big strokes herself, but she's, you know, got like a slighter build. Uh, and I think you, the U S crowd and Canadians obviously do too. love like the underdog story. And then she was definitely the underdog in every match she played up until the final. I thought it was like, I don't even know who's the underdog here. They're both underdogs. Like it's just, wow. insane. yeah. We like that. she played Kaya Kanepi in the second round. And I think maybe most people thought, well, Kanepi is a veteran who's had success here. She'll probably win. Yeah. And that was out on like court 10. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Fernandez won obviously that match too. So it wasn't as like, it, it didn't even just start with Osaka, although it, our, our attention or most people's attention was, was started at that match. But yeah. Yeah. And just again, um, you know, what a role model too. And, and I, I try to tread water with putting those expectations on these young athletes. Like they didn't necessarily sign up to be a role model, but it comes with kind of with yeah. the territory of being a professional athlete. And, you know, for how many people have been told, you, you know, you, you probably can't do that. Like, Oh, you want to start up a tennis podcast in Victoria? Yeah, man, that's never going to work. And look at you, like you're doing it right. And yeah. and how many people told Layla, you're probably going to need to be five ten and have a big serve to have any kind of success, especially on a hard court. Or, you yeah. Know, like, and, you know, and she brought up, you know, the teacher that was like, yeah, you probably want to like work on school and, yeah. and focus on maybe be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, you know, who's a yeah. tennis player and makes millions of dollars. Well, she's about to make millions of dollars. So yeah. Yeah. It's just, and I, I, and it was so genuine and heartfelt and obviously her, I got to give a shout out to my colleague, Mark Masters and the job and the interviews he had with Jorge, her father, who was totally. Florida the whole time and just breaking down talking about what it's like to be a Canadian. It was yeah. just like, Oh my God. Like if you didn't have it, win us over by now, like yeah. every, everyone was just, you know, so like, so won over and just, um, you know, you know, invested in her story for two weeks. It was, 
it was so cold to have a front row seat and, um, and, it, and it made it easy for me to, to follow the matches because even when I couldn't walk, watch the match, where we're situated is outside the bowl of Arthur Ashe Stadium right. and the building starts shaking when Fernandez wins points. Yeah. And when Svitolina wins points, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's like golf slaps. Like, oh God, like, how, I don't know how she did this, but she did it. Yeah, she's, uh, she's just got star power, I think, and, and it's like in the rawest form. And yeah, I got goosebumps when you brought up the Jorge interview that Mark Masters did. Yeah, it was like literally like I was choking up watching that and just to see how much it meant to their, to their family to, to represent Canada. And I think that that's such a great tie into like what Canada is, right. It's like, it's, you know, there's people that are born here. There's people that um, move here and we're all Canadians. And that's like, it's just like this amazing group. And I think the four, the four top players that we just talked about really represent that well, right. There's kind of like a lot of different parts of the world represented, but they all love Canada and they love representing Canada. And yeah, I'm, I'm so stoked on Canadian tennis, proud of where these four players have gotten to. Um, it's unbelievable. Like we have one of the strongest tennis nations in the world right now. Um, definitely. And, uh, and we're a pretty small country and you know, it's not a lot of people here play tennis actually compared to like a lot of other sports. So let's talk quickly about 2022 and our expectations going into it. Cause if like everyone wants to go to the next level and be like, okay, we made a slam final. We got to get at least one slam victory next year, like type things. Like we all, we all think, and probably all four of them have the ability to win a slam, but my unpopular, maybe unpopular opinion is that I think it's unrealistic for us to expect a grand slam in 2022. We can hope for it, which I do. Uh, I don't think it's realistic to put that expectation on them. Cause I don't think any of them are at the point right now where it like makes sense that they're going to win a slam in 2022. What do you think? I think that's fair. Like, like you have a handful of players in the world where you could say, I expect them to win a grand slam. Like it's just, totally. it's so difficult to do. Everything needs to a line up. You need to be healthy at the right time. You need to be good for two weeks and win seven matches. So outside of the Djokovic's and, you know, um, on the women's side, you know, most consistent player this year was probably Ash Barty. Yeah. Um, when Osaka is going and, and, you know, in a good place, you would say the same thing for her. Um, yeah. I think the expectation should be taking another step forward and you can go in so many different directions with all the Canadians for that. You know, I, just because Layla made a U.S. Open final, she could have a successful year and, and not go past say a quarterfinal at a grand slam. And a lot yeah. of people might say, well, she reached the U.S. Open final. Yeah, but she had better results at the 1,000 events. And you just saw a little more consistency and some more growth because, you know, she might – she played in a quarterfinal and she played a red-hot Osaka. Mm. There's no shame in that. So, you know, Felix and Dennis, I, it'd be nice to see one of them reach a, uh, a final at one of yeah. the slams just because that would make another step forward. And I think the opportunity is there more so than maybe even a year ago where – Djokovic is there, but, you know, we still don't know where Rafa's game is at and where his health is at. We know that Roger isn't what he used to be, and he's not even going to play until the second half of the year. Medvedev has kind of overtaken and, and been that next, the next gen, if you want to call him that, to, you know, jump into that Grand Slam pool and, and win one. Yeah. Um, for those guys, I'd like to see, you know, obviously with Dennis, we talked about more consistency, but also just, uh, more success at the other big tournaments, the Masters. You know, get into more quarters and semis at those events. Uh, gain some more points. 
and not just have to feast on, you know, no disrespect to the Stockholm Open, but the 250s, right? And yeah. just, you know, those are, that's your next big test that you know the best players in the world will be there. Um, so for those guys, I think the 1000s and the Grand Slams to have more success and consistent success and maybe try to get into the second week of the Slams two or three times in yeah. 2022 as opposed to just once or twice. Um, you know, for Layla, I kind of touched upon it, um, just to, to play that level of tennis throughout the year. You saw a big dip after winning Monterey. Um, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, the U S open is going to do so much for her confidence, uh, for Bianca, I I think it's less about results and more how many tournaments are you playing? Because I think if she plays, it means she's relatively healthy. And I think if she's playing and she's relatively healthy, yeah the rest takes care of itself. I think yeah. that she needs, she has just so much game that she'll have her results and the rest goes from there. And, and whether that means reaching quarters or semis or winning a tournament here or there, I think that is the next step forward for her to just be playing the majority of the 1000s playing, like hope knock on wood, play all four majors in a calendar year, which she's yeah. not been able to do. Would even, be nice. Even in that magical 2019 season, you know, played in the U.S. Open. I was, um, you know, and, and sorry, she did play the French Open, but she had a withdrawal. So yeah, that would be my expectations for the Canadians. I think it's going to be another fascinating year. And yeah. um, and a shout out to a guy like Milos Raonic. Like, let's. I want to see him play. You know, I, I hope this isn't the end. He's been so great for Canadian tennis. I don't know yeah. what you can expect from him at the point outside of the big serve. But, you know, let's hope that, um, you know, we, we don't get some posting on Instagram that says it's been a great career and I'm done because I know that he's got a lot of uh, opportunities outside of tennis. Really smart right. guy. But, you know, I, what was his last tournament? Uh, like Atlanta? Like, I don't know. You know like, that's I don't want good. that to be a legacy, right? That's a good point. We can't put any like it's kind of disrespectful to leave him off this list, but it is the top four players right now. Uh, Milos Ronich, our guy, friend of the show. Um, yeah, I don't think he's retiring. Hopefully not. I think we'll probably see him in Delray um, and then at the Australian Open. But yeah, I don't know. I think the, in general, I think you did a great kind of setup for these four players going into 2022. Expectations can be heavy. And I think, you know, especially, you know, uh, Felix and Dennis have worn those pretty heavily for a few years now. Um, but I think we're going to see some special tennis in 2022 from the Canadian crew. Mark Rowe, thank you so much for joining the slice today uh, and, and, you know, giving your thoughts and breaking it down. I'm excited to see the TSN coverage in 2022. Um, where can people find you online? Oh, uh, Twitter at TSN TV, uh, Instagram, Mark Rowe 8. And um, yeah, you can see me on TSN on a bunch of different platforms. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Anyways, thanks for joining the show. Slice people, thank you for subscribing, liking the video, and stay tuned for our some more, uh, you know, topic related videos in the in the fall here in the tennis off season, preparing for the Australian Open, best time of the year in my opinion. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for coming on. Jo- Thanks for coming on, Mark, not Joe, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.